Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme with a very sad story uh, this morning that broke uh, yesterday and the news today that a man in his 30s is still in Garda custody following the death of an elderly patient who lost his life at the Mercy Hospital in an alleged attack and it happened early yesterday morning. Our news reporter Mairead Tuhik uh, joins me. Good morning to you Mairead. Good morning, Patricia. And uh, you are welcome. Okay, what is known at this stage as to what unfolded early yesterday morning at the Mercy Hospital? So, Patricia, what we know so far is that Gardaí were alerted to an incident involving two male patients at the Mercy University Hospital shortly after 5.30 a.m. yesterday morning. And an 89-year-old man who's been named as Matthew Healy, a retired farmer from Bearings, was pronounced dead at the scene. And um, the incident took place on a six-bed uh, general ward in the Mercy University Hospital. Now, a spokesman for the hospital has told the Irish Examiner that the six-person ward where the incident took place, it was fully occupied at the time of the incident and that a full complement of staff was on duty at the time. Now, as you said there, Patricia, that a man in his 30s was arrested at the scene and he's still in custody at the Bridewell Garda station. Uh, so, yeah, he was arrested at the scene, a fellow patient at the Mercy University Hospital. Now, the area, the six-bed uh, ward, the area where the incident took place, was cordoned off and that was to allow for a full forensic and technical examination by Gardaí. And what we do understand is that the armed support unit attended at the scene to assist in the arrest of the male patient. And it's understood that the men, they're not believed to have been known to each other. Now, a post-mortem took place yesterday. That was at Cork University Hospital by the Assistant State Pathologist, Dr. Margaret Bolster. Now, details of this uh, post-mortem, they're not being released, and that's for operational reasons. The investigation is ongoing. A senior investigating officer has been appointed and also a Garda family liaison officer has been appointed. Um, and a statement from the hospital yesterday, from the Mercy Hospital, they said that management and staff, they're saddened and shocked at the tragic and unexpected death of an elderly patient. And they express their deepest condolences to Mr. Healy's family, um, relatives and friends. Yeah, and the fact that it was in a six-bedded ward there obviously was witnesses. 
this is it and you can imagine how those um other patients in that full ward are, are feeling you know having witnessed this uh, this tragic in- incident and my thoughts go out of course to Mr Healy's family and, and all who knew him and also all those who've been impacted by this this dreadful incident. Yeah it, it, it is really shocking and I'm hearing this morning two investigations there's obviously the one underway by the Gardaí themselves but a separate investigation underway by the hospital. That's it. And, and they'll be trying to piece together exactly what happened here. And the INMO, which is the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation, have come out this morning and they're calling for a full security audit of all hospitals. Now, through their film, he said that their thoughts and sympathies are with the families at the centre of yesterday tragic incident at the Mercy and they've been offering their unions full support to members at the Mercy and they will continue to do so and they said that in light of this awful incident the INMO is once again repeating their call for a full review and audit of security systems and protocols in Irish hospitals. They said we haven't had a security audit of our hospitals since 2016 and they're saying that it's time now each complete a full audit of what measures are in place in each hospital. Okay, listen, Murray, we'll leave it there. Thank you for that, and uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Patricia. Uh, good care. morning to you. And I saw um, Paddy O'Brien, the fantastic advocate on behalf of older people, who, funny enough, we were only talking with on the programme uh, last week. He uh, he said he's deeply shocked uh, by the incident, and, and obviously, as we all do, extending deepest, deepest sympathies uh, to the family and to everybody involved. But um, I saw in the papers today, Paddy is quoted as saying, for a man to go into hospital only to lose his life, he said, I simply don't know what to say. He said, look, the Mercy is a fine hospital, but this is an awful, desperate tragedy. That poor man went into hospital with some type of illness. Nobody could have expected a tragedy like this to have happened. And a local Fianna Fáil uh, councillor for the Bearings area where Matthew Healy is uh, from, uh, is Councillor Michael Looney, who uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. Um, and for, firstly, I, I imagine the whole area in mourning and deep shock in the local area, Michael. Yes, completely devastated by the whole event. And I just like take this opportunity to our thoughts and prayers are with the family of the, the untimely death, really, of Matthew Healy. So it's a big, big blow to Bellington's closeness community and it's a dark day here in Bellington, I can assure you that. And you knew my, you knew Matthew? I knew him for the past 30 years. Ah. And what a gentleman. A really, really, as I said before in previous interview, uh, a kind man. And when I say kind, I put that with a capital K as well as a gentleman. And well rooted in the past. Well, I came from a farming community, gave up farming, was retired from farming maybe 15, 20 years ago. And he used to, he used to do a vegetable run. And he was just a, a lovely evil to be quite honest. And this is one of the blackest days. I'm in Bellings 40 years, but this is the blackest day of Bellings seen. And I hope we'll never again see it. Yeah, and I suppose for the family's point of view, for his children and, and his grandchildren, uh, seemingly his wife, Delia, uh, only died at the start of this year. So yeah. a, a matter of weeks three, ago. Less than three weeks, yeah. Oh. yeah. He died. So it, it, it's very, very tough in the family. Very tough. And like, it's something, as Paddy O'Brien said, when you go into hospital, you don't expect it to be more or less. I can't say 
I know, I know, I know, I know, because there is a guard investigation underway, but you don't. And it's just and and and, and I, my heart just really goes out to Matthew's family because they obviously were worried and concerned about him. The fact that he had to be admitted uh, to hospital and, you know, probably hoping, you know, look, they, 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 it was Sunday, they, Saturday, Sunday. They might have been in with him during the day to see him. You know, maybe he was looking well and sure he'll be home soon. And, you know, what we all do when, when we have an elderly person in hospital. But then to have got a, n- a knock on the door to have heard what happened to their beloved father and grandfather, it's, it's, must be devastating. They, it's just Boy, shocking. It's just shocking. And on, as I said, under the circumstances. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, listen, pass on our thoughts and, and best wishes to uh, Matthew's family. We're all we're all thinking of them. It really is uh, shocking. And, and to everybody in, in the area, you know, it's... Because uh, I tell you, it's a, dark, it's a dull, as I said this morning, there was fog there. And it was a black day, and I said, that's exactly what it is in Billings. The weather is suiting yeah. the mood. Yeah. yeah. Correct. All right, listen, Michael, I know everyone's on to you today, so we appreciate you taking time okay. uh, to take our phone call. Good morning to you. Thanks, Patricia. Good bye-bye. morning to you. Bye-bye. That is local Fianna Fáil councillor for the, uh, for the area where the late Matthew Healy lived, and that was uh, Michael uh, Looney. It just is such, as I say, such a sad, sad uh, case. And Mary says, Patricia, I am so sad to hear of the death of Matthew Healy. What a lovely man. May he rest in peace. You go into hospital thinking you are uh, safe. Uh, God love him and all of the other patients as well. I mean, yeah, I, I didn't realise until I had raid on there that it was a six bedded ward so you can imagine the trauma for the other patients as well. A lot of people just so saddened about the case of what happened with this alleged assault and the death of this elderly man uh, Matthew Healy in the Mercy Hospital. Rory in Passage West says are, are we not safe in our hospitals anymore? Well look I mean I suppose this is it's a very isolated case but one case is one too many. Interesting to hear Murray talk about Philney Hay from the Irish Nurses and Medical Organisation they've been calling for quite some time uh, to take a look at security inside in hospitals because obviously from the Irish Nurses and Midwives organisation some of their staff members there are times when their staff members don't feel safe while at work particularly in the A&E uh, departments Julie Imbandon says our hospitals are under so much pressure at the moment and nothing seems to be done it's no wonder we have incidents like this happening it's no fault at all of the staff they're doing their very best we had better ho- hospital facilities back in the 80s than we have today and back in the 80s we were in the middle of a recession whereas today we are awash with money and we just don't seem to be able to get it right and John in the city says there is a real fear already amongst many people about going into hospital because of the crisis in the A&E department people are afraid even when they're genuinely sick to go to A&E because they're fearful they're going to be left languishing on a trolley and now when you hear something like this incident in uh, the Mercy it'll, it'll put people off and that's that would, would be a big concern because people who genuinely need to be in hospital need to be seen by consultants in hospital that's where they need to go and if we have people being turned off going to the hospitals then you, you uh, people get sicker and unfortunately people can uh, pass away but actually on the A&E crisis I know there was large crowds 
uh, attended at various protests around the country about the overcrowding at the A&E and I know we'll have a report a little bit later on about the protest that was held uh, here in uh, Cork so we will be addressing that later. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie With the country continuing to experience, to experience a housing crisis, some local authorities are actively promoting people to downsize their houses and move into smaller properties. Age Action says it's wrong to incentivise older people to right-size or downsize their housing needs. And joining me from Age Action is Celine Clark, who is their Head of Advocacy. Good morning to you, Celine. Good morning, Patricia. And, and you're very welcome. Now, advocates will say it frees up family homes and that older people will benefit from living in a smaller property, which they say much cheaper to heat, so therefore much cheaper to run. But you disagree. And can you explain why? Well, some people will want to right-size or downsize, but most people don't want to. So we understand in age action and, in fact, national research and, in fact, the government's programme for government that most older people want to age in place, meaning we want to stay in the home or at least in the community in which we have built our lives. And so our issue is that the motivation behind a right-sizing policy must be to respectfully meet the needs, preferences and aspirations of older people as encapsulated in the idea of ageing in place. So it's it's not right for right-sizing to be a crude exercise to shake out some housing stock as a response to the prolonged housing supply and affordability crisis. We have to put the emphasis on choice and improving people's use of their dwellings rather than implying that there's an inefficient or unf- unfair occupation of housing. So the idea that someone might be under-occupying their home, you know, because they're using one room and they have three bedrooms um, and therefore then they're a target to downsize or right-size is really, really wrong. We shouldn't be um, targeting this policy at older people to free up housing stock for others, particularly because many older people will tell us that there aren't the types of houses that they want to move to in the community that they want to stay in. Yeah, so that, that certainly is, is one of the, the problems because there's always been a problem in this country when it comes to one and two bedroomed properties. We, ne- we simply don't have enough. Exactly. So in a, in a housing policy and in planning for you know, a future of our population where more of us are older um, but we still want to live in the communities in which we've built our lives. We have to plan for people to be able to move um, within the community to different types of housing and that can be sheltered housing, it can be retirement homes if people want them um, but it also should be smaller units, you know, where there's one or two bedrooms. But and oftentimes like housing for older persons is, you know, a one bedroom um place. But most older people want to be able to have people over. Like yeah. you don't stop yeah. having family or having friends or wanting to have people over. And equally, you know, as we get a wee bit older and we might need home care or someone to stay with us at night, we need a space for that appropriate as well. So um, you know, one bedrooms are not always the solution for older person. Yeah, housing. yeah, good point, good point. And I do think the big, the big, big uh, issue is that older people, even those that would like to move out of the home they're currently in and would like to move into, say, a smaller property, they don't want to move far away from their neighbourhood community. 
No, and none of us will. You know, usually when we're moving um, home, we, we try and we want to stay close to where we've built a life or where our children are in school or where our doctor is, you know, where we've established ourselves, where our work is. And that doesn't really change just because we're older. Most people, um, the, the biggest barrier for people who um, want to change the type of home that they're are currently living in is the lack of choice within the community that they're living. Now, there is a programme called the Healthy Age-Friendly Homes Pilot, which supports people to continue to live in their homes or find a home that's more suited to their needs within the community. Um, And that's a pilot scheme that's run in some local authorities, and it's doing quite well. But there is the barrier that there aren't suitable homes. And Mm. then the other barrier as well is that it's complicated to buy and sell, and uh, you also need access to credit. And many older people tell us that they don't have access to credit. You know, they can't get a bridging loan from the bank or a financial institution to be able to, you know, buy as they sell. Um, and then we know as well from our work with the Care and Repair Programme, which does free DIY jobs in the homes of older people to help them to maintain their homes and their independence for longer, um, that home maintenance is a barrier for many people. You know, our homes were not built with universal design principles in mind uh, for many of us, unless they're in the newer, kind of more recently built. So oftentimes, you know, the stairs can be a problem where the bathroom doesn't meet your needs and they need to be adapted. And some people will find that difficult to access the grants or maybe the home just isn't suitable to be modified and that's also a barrier to people um, to be able to maintain their homes and adapt them to what they need but unfortunately we're still not building enough homes um, in the new stock that we're building that will meet universal design principles to support us to live in that home um, throughout our life course whether we break a leg or acquire a disability um, you know and need some support yeah, and it's crazy because we know we have, we're constantly talking about uh, we have an ageing uh, population. So planning surely has got to be so important when it comes to the housing of older people today and the people who are going to be older into the future. Well, yeah, exactly. Like in Age Action, the idea of ageing place is for a life course approach. So it means that the environment in which we build our communities, our homes, um, the built environment around us, you know, footpaths, lighting, accessible um, businesses, all of that is good for older people, but it's good for all of us throughout our life course. You know, if you can get, like, people will struggle with buggies, people will struggle with wheelchairs, people will struggle with walking frames, um, and people will just struggle sometimes to walk on uneven footpaths. So something that is suitable for us when we're older is suitable for us throughout our life course. And so local authorities have a real responsibility to ensure that we plan appropriately. And to be fair, Ireland is recognised by the World Health Organisation as an age-friendly country. Um, We have an accreditation as an age-friendly country and local authorities do commit to um, age-friendly strategies. Um, But what we're just not seeing is sufficient planning um, of the housing, particularly then we see this idea of incentivising people to right size, which is the wrong narrative to have. Yeah, and, um, I, and I was thinking at the weekend about this, uh, Selena, about this whole notion of incentivising older people to move out of their houses and move to a smaller property, ideally, as they say, in their own locality. But just uh, if you have a, a number of older people suddenly out buying properties, are they not going into direct competition with young people who are also trying to purchase their first homes? 
Well, I think all of us, um, there's a housing crisis for all of us um, to meet our needs, whether it's affordability or a suitable home that meets our needs of our family. And I think the, the policy has to be about housing for all. Now, the housing policy is called housing for all, but for us, we see that it, it really isn't for all because of the affordability and the suitability barriers there. And um, I think it's really important that we don't pit one generation against another because it's 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 divisive and unfortunately we know ourselves in the work that we do with older people that the housing crisis is one of the most concerning issues for, for older people and ensuring that people get the opportunity to, to get on the housing ladder. We know that the majority of older people own their own homes but of course that is shifting and changing. People in their 50s are increasingly renting, people in their 40s are increasingly renting and it's it's unlikely that you will own your own home um, in retirement if you're renting in your 50s so there's a lot that we need to plan for in the changing demographics um, but there's also definitely a need to ensure that if we're going to have a policy that incentivizes people to right size or downsize or basically change the home in which they live in they have to have the option and choice of being able to move within their own community and currently that's not adequately support it. Okay and it has to be something that older people want to do themselves they can't Absolutely. in any way be forced into it. And just finally Celine, this isn't the first time that this has been uh, mentioned or older people have been urged to downsize. Wasn't there an ES- ESRI report out a number of years ago on this? So there's been the SRI report. Yes, there was um, in the Housing Options for an Aging Population um, policy position that was announced by um, the Department of Housing. Um, I think it was in 2019. There, and they followed up the consultation with older people um, conducted by, I'm not sure if it was the SRI at the time, and then a report subsequently. And Age Action just made a submission to the Department of Housing on this issue um, again in quarter four of last year. I think it was November we have this submission on our website if anyone wants to read it so there's lots of work been done in trying to understand um, what would incentivise older people what are the barriers um, to try and remove them but unfortunately having this conversation in the absence of knowing that there is choice and coming at it from the perspective that it has to be the choice of older people not a notion that they're in the way Um, and that's really important Okay, you uh, mentioned a scheme um, for it's to, it's to do get jobs done around the house. Is it that, that so Age, Age Action's Care and Repair program does free DIY jobs in the homes of older people to help them to maintain their homes. Um, they're small DIY jobs. We can't do anything electrical where you need a qualified electrician, um, but it does operate in Cork, um, and we have amazing volunteers that support us to do that, and we prioritise. Um, people who are recently discharged from hospital or are waiting to be discharged from hospital to try and get their homes ready. You know, you might need a bed moved down or some grab rails installed in the yeah, um, in the hall or something yeah. like that. So that's available. Okay. Um, and people can ring our um, our office on oh one four seven five six nine eight nine or if they can go online and they'll find more information on our website on ageaction.ie. Age it's yeah. Celine. Pleasure as always to talk to you. Thank you for that.
Thanks, Patricia. And uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, bye bye. That is Celine Clark, who is head of advocacy uh, with Age uh, Action. Hi, my mum broke her hip and we needed her existing bathroom done, but we weren't entitled to a grant as the whole family's income is taken in, which included my brother, his wife and uh, sons. Yeah, any of those grants, they're means tested. And when anything is means tested, it's everything. Unfortunately, that's uh, in it's all the income that comes into the uh, house. Uh, lots of people looking for that number that Celine gave out. It's Dublin four seven five six nine eight eight nine. It's age action. It's care and player. They're small DIY jobs. So bear that uh, in mind. Uh, hi, Patricia. You're talking about downside downsizing. Did you see the room to improve program last night? The couple built from their shed to downsize. What a fabulous house they got. Such a lovely couple too. And they still live near their original home. I didn't see it. I saw it teed up and I assumed that that's what they were they were doing. They were going to downsize from their larger property and there was old sheds or something out the back. But that, yeah, those room to improve programmes are absolutely fantastic. I'm definitely, it's something I'm going to watch on the player. Uh, thank you for that. According to the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission, the government must urgently review its policy on domestic homicide because violence against women has reached crisis levels in this country. Nolene Blackwell is with the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre and Nolene joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Nolene. Good morning, Patricia. And a pleasure as always to have you on the programme. Now, sadly, last year, 11 women died violently in this country and we've already had two such tragic deaths so far this year and we're not even at the end of uh, January. How do we tackle this the root causes of this violence against women? Yeah, so in, in some ways it's it's not going to be, I'd love to say that there's the silver bullet and actually I would say the government itself would love to say there's one way out of this but it's actually something that's going to need a number of different steps, Patricia. I mean, the truth is that it's only in relatively recent times that we've started talking at all about abuse against women and gender-based violence. We, it just really wasn't spoken about, you know, in what you might call polite society or general society. Um, we were told very much that things that happened inside the house stayed inside the house and nobody was interested in them outside. So there is a way in which we have not been um, focused on dealing with domestic abuse. So it seems to me there's two or three big steps that have to be taken. We have to have a proper legal structure that recognises domestic abuse of all sorts, even short of murder and killing. All sorts of domestic abuse are really serious criminal harms in our society. That's one thing. And they have to be, they have to be found and prosecuted and properly punished. The second thing we have to do is make sure that the people who suffer this um, are able, have, have space and have places that they can be safe. So we haven't enough refuge spaces, for instance, in Ireland. Yes, we're going to have more over time. There's a commitment there, but we don't have them. So we don't have that physical safety. Even the very idea that someone who's suffering domestic abuse in their house has to be the person to leave has to be something we have to change as well. Surely the the person should be safe in their own house and the abuser should have to leave. And the third thing is we all, I think, have to stop um, condoning uh, little bits of abuse because killing of 
people, killing of women, killing of people because of their gender is, of course, the ultimate tragedy, the ultimate harm. But, you know, it is often because bits of abuse are tolerated, then a bit more. You know, you hear about it in other areas of abuse as well, like take bullying. Somebody gets away with a little bit of bullying and then they'll do a bit more. And often the reason they get away with a bit of abuse is because we say, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to interfere. So society has its part to play as well. We all have to recognise this is actually a genuinely serious problem that half of all the women who've been killed in recent years, or no, uh, yeah, about half of them have been killed by a partner or ex-partner. So, you know, this is something that's happening in the context of a relationship where people put all of their trust and hope that it will work. And, 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 when, and when abuse happens there, the rest of us have to form that net. The rest of us being the guards, the rest of us being the politicians, the rest of us being people we work with, people who are our employees, that they're safe. And that. So there's so many ways in which we have to just first of all say we're going to fix it we're going to stop it and that's why the Irish Human Rights and Equality Committee there's an examination coming up by a Council of Europe body on Ireland's I suppose performance in the area of sexual violence and domestic violence and the Human Rights and Equality Commission put out a report for that group who are coming to Ireland actually at the end of this month and into next month to look at Ireland's record and, and that's why they say for instance they're there's often ways in which you can flag ahead of the murder of a woman that, that there's danger. And that's why the review has been going on. And it's with the Department of Justice and needs to be published and acted on. Do you believe violence against women has reached crisis levels or is that too strong a statement? I, I think I think it has been at crisis level for a long time, but well, it's kind of like I don't know the, a, a crisis, kind of a peak in something. It has been at a totally unacceptably high level. It has plateaued at far to a high level over not just the last couple of years, but over over decades. Probably we're only hearing, we're still only hearing the tip of the iceberg in relation to sexual violence against women. We're still hearing things like, oh, it was only banter in, in, in terms of uh, harassment of women. Uh, we're still hearing, look, what did they do to provoke uh, that? Did, did she um, not, did, what did she do to provoke her partner in that particular way? Um, we're still recognising that there aren't enough safe spaces for women. We're still seeing that the guards don't have the technology they need, and particularly now that an awful lot of this abuse has gone online as well. Yeah, so I mean, it I, is critical. Yeah, and I, only last week I was speaking with one of our local female politicians, Holly Kearns, and actually she appeared on the, uh, the Late Late on uh, Friday yeah. night as well. And, you know... That abuse has been going on for quite some time and she didn't want to go public on it because uh, she yeah. it was going to draw too much attention to it. She didn't want to be seen as the victim. And I was saying yeah. to her, we need to talk about it. We need to call it out because it's it's the female politicians are particularly the stalking side of it and the, the, se- yeah. the commentary. You know, she got pornographic material sent in the most horrible, horrible uh, stuff. But it needs to be called out. Yeah, it does. And I mean, efforts are being made on the side of the victims. Like, in some ways, I always think it's so unfair uh, that it's bad enough that you're being stalked. 
that you then have to make the decision, will it make it worse or better if I speak out about it? You know, there's so many other uh, strands to this as well. And I know Sexual Violence Cork have really worked hard in trying to create spaces to talk about stalking in Ireland. But there is something, there is something about um, the the platforms where people can do this anonymously. Because again, like a lot of bullies, uh, people do do it anonymously. They can't be traced. They feel safe in their uh, their abuse of people. So we have to, I mean, regulation of uh, digital companies is about to come in uh, it has to be robust. It has to be strong. It's kind of, you know, it's still a place where people can go on with a fake account set up with a fake email account with no identification, no way of tracing them whatsoever. And, you know, like it's hard enough for our guards to deal with somebody in person. Like the amount of resources they'll need to deal with cybercrime is going to be huge. Uh, It is huge probably already, but we haven't even realised how hard it is for them. But there will have to be those who allow it to be published, who allow it to proliferate, will also have to take much stronger measures to uh, to stop that kind of abuse. And I saw the, the Irish Human Rights Commission. I mean, they're calling for a zero tolerance culture towards all, towards all forms of violence against women. And that's right from verbal abuse right through to homicide. Yeah. Is, is that yeah, achievable? They, they are. They, and, and they are. And, and to, to, be, to be fair to them, uh, the government, when it put out its five-year plan last June, led by uh, then Taoiseach Michael, Michael Martin and, and flanked by uh, Roderick O'Gorman and the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, they called that strategy zero tolerance for all forms of gender-based violence. So it's, there's a recognition there now, but there are so many bits to it and it is so stitched into our society and it is such an easy way to abuse people, to abuse them in secret, to abuse them in intimate relationships, to use the an- anonymity, uh, to, to cowardly use the anonymity of uh, social media in order to abuse people. And and honestly, when, when such bullies are confronted, there's a real, you know, there's a real history of the abuse stopping mm. and, and not, not going ahead. So, like, you couldn't do it. You wouldn't be allowed to do it on your radio show, and I wouldn't be allowed to do it as your guest. Yeah. But it's so, so and it, it therefore allows, um, it allows people to feed off each other even on that kind of abuse and not to recognise that it is not, that you're damaging somebody else when you're doing it. And I wonder about, I wonder actually whether people actually understand how damaging it is sometimes. Sometimes they do. And I mean, it's perfectly clear if you physically, um, uh, if you physically hit somebody else, that's physical abuse. It's one form of domestic violence. But you know, raping them within a, an intimate relationship is also a form of violence that very often people say, well, you know, they're, they're entitled, they're, they're in a relationship or they're married or whatever. So there's so many ways in which it's, it's a question for all of us as well to really take and keep a focus on this, not allow us to uh, stop it until such time as we can increase the safety of everybody who suffers from gender-based violence, mostly women, 
but some men as well, and particularly uh, those who are vulnerable, perhaps by reason of sexual orientation, um, they can be extremely vulnerable as well. So, so it's it's something. It yes, it's a crisis, but it has been critical for a long time. But it's now that we have we have the the voices are coming through, and the least we can do in society is support them and and reduce reduce that violence. Yeah, and shout stop and say enough is enough. Exactly. Um, Nolene, a pleasure as always. Thank you for that and thanks Thank for joining you, Patricia. us. Thank you, Good morning to you. That is uh, Nolene Blackwell who is with the Dublin Rape Crisis uh, Centre uh, responding uh, to that call from the Irish Human Rights and Equality uh, Commission for the government to urgently review the policy because too many women unfortunately are being killed in very, very violent situations. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. It's a wonderful day in Cork McSherry yesterday uh, for the arrival of their brand new lifeboat. And I see um, Ailish Crisp uh, to our C103 Facebook page. This morning, Patricia, Ailish here calling from Norfolk. So delighted to see the new lifeboat arrive in my childhood village of uh, Cork Mac. I was watching it online as well. It really was fantastic uh, to see it. It's the new Shannon class lifeboat. Of course, it was meant to happen a couple of weeks ago, but the weather was against them. So it had to be. Uh, deferred and rescheduled but it, but it happened yesterday it was led in by a flotilla of local boats and of course it was important that it arrived at exactly 13.45 which is also the operational number of the boat now it was an overcast uh, day yesterday but that did not start, ter- stop a huge turnout of uh, crowds who arrived to welcome the new lifeboat to the village of Corp Mac and of course we've spoken about it on the programme it is the 11th lifeboat to be stationed at Corp Mac since the arrival of the very first RNLI boat and that was back in 1825 uh, so God bless all who sail in harbour definitely it was a fantastic day in Cork Mac yesterday and good to see even with kind of a dreary old day it was good to see the crowds uh, turn out and I've been asked to say well done and congratulations to Toher National School they are outside Dunmanway they have been announced as winners of the best design category in a nationwide 3D printing sustainability challenge. So congratulations to everyone at Toher National School in uh, West Cork. 0818 103 103. Anne has been on to us really disappointed <laughs> disappointed and annoyed, I think it, I take it, and wants us to highlight the issue that she was travelling with Ryanair on a flight home last night. It was a four-hour flight. She was coming back from uh, Tenerife. There was no tea, no coffee, no water available. She thought it was a dis- Grace. Then we didn't get on to Anne. We thought she might like to join us on air, but she didn't. But John Paul had a chat with her. She was the flight out to Tenerife the previous week was fine. They had everything available on board for Anne to purchase. But it was when they, she was flying back uh, last night. She asked, "Was there any tea or coffee?" They said, "No, sorry, no tea or coffee." And the air hostess explained that they had been travelling since five thirty a.m. yesterday morning, and they simply didn't have time to restock the plane. Now she was offered sparkling water. Okay, so they did have some water. Other than that, she could purchase vodka or gin. Oh, and by the way, they didn't run out of scratch cards. <laughs> they never do. But it was obviously a cup of tea or a cup of coffee was what Anne most wanted. And they ran out. And that happens, Anne. It unfortunately happens. And if it's a quick turnaround of a plane and they don't have time to stock up, and I'm, I'm assuming that was the last flight of the day, so they would have been fully stocked in the morning, maybe did a 
did a top up of stock throughout the day because in fairness to Ryanair they are great to sell you items on board the plane they make a profit by doing that so it doesn't work in their favour not to have it available but it's disappointing if you get onto a plane and you're looking for you know a nice cup of coffee or a cup of tea uh, and it isn't available to you so I, I sense your frustration but there's not you're certainly not going to get any comeback from Ryanair on it they'll just explain exactly as the air hostess explained to you didn't have time to restock 0818103103 Heidi's been on to us this morning to say good morning Patricia oh my lord the potholes are everywhere. I went into Skibbereen uh, yesterday. It is outrageous the way you have to drive the Marsh Road into Cora. Both roads have so many potholes. I have and will again email the council about this particular road. The damage that this can do to your car. It looks like in some places that they've tried to fill in some of the potholes but according to Heidi it wasn't done properly because the gravel is out again. It really is a waste of time and uh, money. And sometimes what happens is you see they'll go and they'll do a kind of a patch job, a temporary job in the po- on the pothole. But then if you get excessive rain, like we have been having over the last few weeks, they'll fill it in on a dry day. And then, you know, the following my dry morning, that afternoon it might rain or the next day it might rain and it'll all come back up again. And I sometimes think when they do that, that gravel then that comes out of a newly filled pothole can do as much damage uh, to your car as well. But it's, it is, for I sense your frustration, Heidi, but it's reflected right across the county. We've done so many interviews now with the council. I mean, they've come out and only last week we spoke about it. They've the, the council executives themselves who are trying to do the best they can with the budget that they have. They say that we simply don't get enough money here in Cork for the size of the network of roads that we have. We just do not get enough money. And they're also pointing to climate change is a reason for the continued damage to the road. But, you know, as we spoke about last week, is to try to stop the water running off the fields and running off out onto the road. It's, if we can keep the water off the roads, and that's when the dikes were properly maintained, the water still flowed out of fields but it went into the dikes. But if the dikes are not cleared out properly, particularly coming up to the winter months, that's how it ends up all over the roads. And if you get water on the road, you are going to have a lot more potholes. Thank you for your WhatsApp to 0862103103. And Finbar in Mallow has been back on to us. Finbar chatted to me on the programme last week on the comment line. And he says, hi, Patricia. Firstly, condolences to Matthew Healy uh, and his poor family. It's absolutely heartbreaking uh, what has happened to him. This is not the first incident. There was another incident, according to Finbar, where a girl was abused a few years ago in a hospital ward. And now we have this alleged assault that has led to the death of this poor gentleman. We have a serious problem in our A&E department. Nurses are being assaulted weekly. Some of it is simply going unreported. Last week I spoke to you, Patricia, on your programme calling for the HSE to be abolished, which should happens at Finbar. Something seems to come out every day about them. I received a letter only on Friday to form, inform me that my medical records are one of the ones that was hacked. We hear the problems with CAMS for children and adolescents suffering with mental health uh, issues. When is the government going to wake up and do a root and branch check on why these problems are ongoing in our health system? 
And the, the story coming out from CAMS is really, really shocking. And it's only an interim report. I can just imagine when the full report comes out, how devastating it is going to be. Uh, to, it's going to make for tough, tough uh, reading. I'll hopefully get to it in a bit more detail uh, later on on the programme. Thank you for that, uh, Fimber, on bullying that we touched on in the last hour. John says, a friend of mine was working for uh, a company uh, not here in Cork. It was a different part of the country. She complained about a colleague who had been harassing her. Guess what? A few weeks later, she was told, oh, sorry, we have to let you go. There isn't enough work for you. She was last in, so she was first out. She was there less than two years, so she got no redundancy. She did get her full month's uh, pay, but she feels that she raised the issue of the bullying and she thought that was a bit coincidental that she raised the issue of the bullying and suddenly uh, the company said, oh, sorry, we don't have work for you. And Marion says, I have to laugh when I see and hear well-being in the workplace. Believe me, it's all a box ticking exercise. I've worked for many multinational companies and if a man or a woman, an employee raises the issue of bullying, guaranteed a few weeks or a few months later, you'll see they'll be overloaded with extra work. All this is done to get them out the door. So Marion feels companies turn a blind eye to bullying. So many of the bullies have wormed their way into the boss's good books while they create havoc elsewhere in the company. So these well-being days are all a waste of time as most companies do not care for their employees. It's all done for show. And that our discussion on bullying is kicked off by a listener who says, what do you do when you're being bullied by somebody who the boss thinks is absolutely fantastic? So Marion reckons some of these bullies worm their way into the good books of the bosses and it's very hard for the bosses to ever believe that that person could be involved in bullying. Jim says a friend of mine who works for a company is responsible for sweeping a yard and keeping the area tidy but an office worker makes him every week wash and shampoo his car. My friend is a foreign national, is contracted to work but does end up washing the person's car. He's worried that if he does something about it he will lose the uh, contract uh, we all feel that he has been used and that's another that's a form of bullying as well that is that is pretty disgusting and shameful as well uh, and it wasn't there a report out last week showing how foreign nationals um, in particular Eastern Europeans are paid less than Irish workers and many of them when they're asked about it are said afraid to complain because they're just glad to have the job so yeah that is an ongoing issue is it a form of bullying? Absolutely um, Hi I had that very same problem at work the HR department did not investigate the bullying when I went and the bully obviously was the boss um, I was getting this directly from management so I decided to do something about it. I can't say any more as it isn't finished uh, yet. Uh, let us know how you get on. 0818 103 103 lines open. C103 Jobs. Excavator drivers wanted for Cork City and County Jobs come with immediate start. Call Christine on 087 377 Electricians are wanted for substation work that's in the Duhallow area. Contact jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. Motor mechanic and a panel beater is required for Jimmy Barry Motors in Bantry, 087 2586 419. And a driver with a B licence is required for school-related hours in the Domanway area. Call Martin, 086 261 You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs 
For more, this is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now coming up to the first anniversary of the government announcing a special €1,000 bonus payment to frontline staff who worked throughout the COVID pandemic. But unfortunately, some of those workers have yet to receive a red cent of their payment. Cork East uh, Labour Doll Deputy Sean Sherlock has uh, contacted the Minister for Health for an update on the payment. And Sean Sherlock joins me. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, Patricia. OK, so what kind of figures do you get? How many How many have been paid the bonus and do, have we any idea on, on how roughly how many are still waiting? Because there seems to be a lot in this area because every time I mention it, I get emails, texts and calls in from people saying still waiting. Still waiting. And uh, my understanding is that about 138,000 people have been paid uh, so far. But then that there is a, some sort of consultancy called COSI, K-O-S-I, that was hired to pay out funding to something like 347 organisations involving approximately, based on the latest figures, 27,000 people to be paid. But but like yourself with you know, receiving emails and calls, so too are we as TDs receiving calls from people in, in the North Cork area and even in the East Cork area who are working for what we call non-HSE you know, nursing homes. And I, I'll name one specifically, and that is, for instance, Nazareth House, where I've been contacted by staff on a weekly basis to ask when are they going to be paid and it prompted me then to talk to my colleague Duncan Smith who's our spokesperson for health but also to put down parliamentary questions to the minister just to put the pressure on and I raised it um, directly with the minister privately as well to say look we have organisations in North Cork and East Cork who still not have been paid can we please get them paid uh, and we still don't have a definitive time frame for instance as to when specifically you know, employees in Nazareth House, because that's where I've received the fast bulk of calls for, when specifically they're they're actually going to be paid their bonus. But we have to keep the pressure on the minister. Yeah, and, and like, that, that company, Cozy, they're based in Newry, because we got onto them on behalf of some of our listeners as well. Um, and they, they couldn't give us any date either. And they kept saying, we were saying, well, can the employee contact you? And they said, no, they're only dealing with the, with the employers. That's it. And so... What I have to keep doing now as an opposition TD is to keep banging the drum on this one and keep the pressure up on organisations like COSI, but specifically on the minister. The minister made the promise. The minister must deliver on the promise. And the way I look at this €1,000, like it's a massive amount of money. And I imagine that a lot of people maybe over the Christmas period might have possibly borrowed from credit unions, maybe to fund Christmas. You know, that €1,000 probably maybe in a lot of cases, is is badly needed. Uh, It it probably funded day-to-day living. And sometimes people might have borrowed, for instance, on the strength of receiving it. Yeah, thinking they they were going to get it well well before before Christmas. But do you know at this stage, everyone who is entitled to to the payment, have they at least been contacted to say they are getting it? My understanding from people that I've spoken to is that people are still in the dark, that that confirmation, uh, you know, hasn't been watertight in any way. But then we know that there are organisations who are what we call Section 38 organisations, say, for instance, who are not HSE organisations, for instance, who are providing services that are the same as HSE services. And again, there is that inequality that exists between those organisations and HSE-funded organisations where 
you know, there's an inequality as between how people are being treated because it's like if you work in Nazareth House, well, you're put to the back of the queue. And I just don't think that it's fair for those employees because they gave the same commitment during COVID as every other worker, uh, you know, right across the uh, right across the, the care sector. Uh, and, you know, if people in the Department of Defence have been paid, people in the Dublin Fire Brigade have been paid, for instance, you know, that was in reply to the question when I asked who has been paid, you know, HSE staff now by and large have been paid, so we now need to work to try and ensure that everybody else who hasn't been paid will be paid and we'll keep fighting for them. But I just think it's, if you were devising a system where you were going to pay a thousand euros to everybody, everybody should have seen the thousand euros in their paycheck at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, because and it also seemed a bit bizarre that the, the HSE, okay, they paid their role and that's fine and they said it was easy for them to do because the payroll was there and all the information was there. But then when they started running into difficulty paying the people that didn't work for the HSE, that's when they employed this newly-based company, uh, Cozy, and they said, by employing this company, it's going to speed up the process. But it doesn't seem to have speeded up the process in any way. No, not at all. And the thing about it is, is that each HSE geographical location throughout the country is governed by what they call a community health organisation or the the. the the language is, it's a CHO. So we here will say are in CHO 4. Now I'm open to correction on the number, but it's, okay. but broadly speaking, um, you know, so that is an organisation that manages all of the relationships with the, with, with so who are providing services in the community or in, from a residential point of view. They are all paymasters in their own right. It would have been very easy to coordinate that effort at the CHO level in the same way as the HSE had to do that for their own staff anyway. So I, I don't buy the argument that has been made that you, you would have had to go to a consultancy firm. But it's the way that the HSE is going now, Patricia. More and more of their services are being hived out to third parties who are making quite a substantial amount of money in providing services for the HSE, where the HSE is supposed to be providing these services themselves. And the question will arise in relation to how much money uh, Cozy will have benefited. I, I was so I was going to line. I was going to ask that. Can you when everybody's paid? Can you we can we find out how much did Cozy get paid to do this work? We can find out because yeah. that will be the next parliamentary question coming from me in relation okay. to this issue. Because I I think the the one tool that the TD has is the parliamentary question because they are every organisation that is paid from the public purse is obliged to answer the question to a TD when they put down the parliamentary question and it's the one tool that we have that ensures transparency in relation to how taxpayers, because this is about taxpayers' money how taxpayers' money is being spent ultimately. Okay. And and all I want is for the people in in the area that I represent and even outside of the area that I represent, they're workers. They deserve to be paid and they deserve to be paid. And, they and, they, and, they work, and they worked hard. Somebody says we work with, and this is obviously a collective group of people, we work with the group Home Instead. We've been promised the pandemic uh, payment, but we're also part of that group that haven't been paid yet because we have heard from some of our listeners who already have a letter, say, and they got a letter weeks and weeks before Christmas to say that they were entitled to the money, but they're still waiting for the money to be transferred from Cozy, I mean, uh, from the HSE, and who, where the money comes from, but they're just waiting for for, for the money. Is it simply too much red tape? Is, is, is uh, that what it goes much, down to? That that's it in a nutshell. So some 
smart person in the department, uh, I don't want to sound sarcastic, said, oh, well, look, let's let's do, let's pay all of the non-directly employed HSE uh, staff uh, through uh, a, an agency, a third party. Then all of a sudden that third party has to set up their infrastructure and their bureaucracy around paying. Then the employer probably has to uh, interact with COSI and probably send any amount of doc- any number of documents to prove that they are the organisation that they say they are. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Then they probably have to send PPS numbers and proof then that people who are employed, who say they're employed, are actually employed. So what you're doing is you're creating a whole new bureaucratic cycle to a third party where all of this stuff is created in-house anyway because it should be enough if the... People know, for instance, that Nazareth House provides services. People know the type of organisation that it is. The Nazareth House will have a relationship of long-standing with uh, the HSE through the community health organisation. So Nazareth House and the HSE, they're intertwined. They'll know exactly who's who. Yeah. You know, you could do the paying order through the HSE uh, very easily. Yeah, you know, it would okay. be and and as always, as soon as we mention this issue, phone lines light up. A couple of private nursing home workers have been on to say they actually got their payment late last week. Many of them were callers who have been calling us over the last few months. Happy to have received it. Uh, somebody says not one part. This is John. Not one person in the South Dock staff have received their pandemic uh, bonus. They worked right throughout the pandemic, including all of the Christmas days and the bank holidays. So there's another group 
Well, I, I'm going to take up the cudgel on that one now because I did. I wasn't aware of that, Patricia. But the, the next question I'll be putting down is when will the South Dock staff be paid? Okay. Because they're they're an absolutely vital cog in the wheel of delivery of healthcare, and and we saw throughout the Christmas exactly you know what they were able to deliver for people, and and there's a big issue there around South Dock as well that I'd love to talk to you about. Okay. If we have time and just but just and just, and just very finally because I'm watching the clock. Sure. I know I know you've got to collect a chai, a small a small fella. Um, just tell tell me about the survey you're running because I, I think this is one that listeners need to know about because we again are hearing from so many people having problem accessing a GP. You're looking at, I know this is specifically for people in, is it in the North Cork area to share their it, personal health care stories? In the North, so we have put out a survey and we've asked people just a set of very simple questions about their experiences in relation to healthcare. One is whether or not they were able to get, are able to get access to healthcare and two, whether and what their experiences was were like. What we want to do is to get real-time information on people's experience. I know what people's experiences are from talking to people, but we want to set that out in a survey form because we need to start assessing properly now based on real metrics and real-time experiences of families and individuals about what their experiences are. Because I want to be able to go back uh, in relation to the provision of, of a GP care. Like, is there a short? Is there actually a shortage of GP? in the North Cork area, do services like South Dock need to be tailored to ensure that, you know, there, there are a number of, um, the, the required number of doctors are actually there? Uh, do we, what is the experience of people when they're trying to get access to their primary care? Because we're hearing stories in places like Mitchestown and Mallow of people not being able to access their GPs and particularly in Mitchestown. Now, I'm not, there's no blame of GPs here. What we want to do is to get the accurate information so that we can actually create a, a storyline and a narrative. But your show will will have all of that chapter in first. But what we want to do is collate the information, put it all together, put it, put it all, all together. together. And how can people figures. access your survey? So if they if they just Google Sean Sherlock uh, Health Survey, they'll be able to. And the survey get comes me up. There. Okay, and you want it in by a certain date to collate uh, the information? I think we've kept it fairly open ended. Okay, yeah. okay. Okay, get back to us. I'll be. I'll be. I, I won't be surprised by the results. I have a funny feeling, but I'm certainly be interested in it. Listen, we leave it there. Thank you for that, Sean, and thanks Thank for you, joining Patricia. us. Uh, good morning to you. That is East Cork Labour Jail Deputy uh, Sean Sherlock. Somebody is taken aback when we're talking about the company that are now uh, processing the pandemic bonus payments for the HSE. They're a company called Cozy, K-O-S-I. They're based in Newry. Somebody says, Cozy, Newry. Do we not have consultancy firms here in the South? Just asking. Uh, I'm sure we do have a lot of consultancy firms, but the HSE, if I put that question to them, will come back and say they put it out to tender and, and they got the best tender, I imagine, from this particular company. Someone else says the HSE seems to be farming out too many of its duties and by doing that, then they're not uh, accountable. If that be the case, says this texter, can they be paid less, uh, please, as they're farming out so much of the stuff? It's a disgrace. But you see, when they farm out, as you've in your words, when they contract out uh, some of the work those contractors have to be paid that's why I've asked Sean to find out I'd be I want to know how much has caused this um, cozy great company no doubt in Newry doing great work um, and hopefully they'll speed up the payment of all of the workers but how much has that actually cost and that will come out of the HSE funds uh, obviously but that company has to be paid they're not actually doing it for the for the love of the frontline workers who desperately want their 1000 euros this is
is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. A multi-award winning Cork-based storyteller is looking for couples whose love story has some connection with University College Cork. It's to take part in a love stories project. And to find out more, I'm joined by Jane Haynes, who is UCC's website content coordinator. Good morning to you, Jane. Hi, Patricia. How are you keeping? I'm very well, and you're very welcome to the programme. Now, UCC, you're working with the Slow Camera Exchange on this uh, programme. I have to say, I was unaware of the Slow Camera Exchange. So can you just tell me a little bit about them first? Sure, yeah. So I was myself as well um, initially. So um, I have to say one of the best things about working UCC is collaborating with wonderful people who've passed through our gates. And it was um, this particular alum, Alana Daly Mulligan, who is working on the project. So the Slow Camera Exchange is founded in honour of a gentleman called Herman Marba, who amassed a huge camera collection during his lifetime. And what they're doing now with the project is they're facilitating access to this uh, collection of analogue user-friendly cameras and engaging with older groups then in the community. Um, so that's kind of the background to, to the project. So these are very old vintage cameras, all still in working order though? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, Alana is uh, is project coordinator, so she knows a lot more detail about it. But um, yeah, so there, and there's fierce interest in it at the moment. So you're you're looking for couples of all ages, obviously. Um, so it's actually um, yeah. So it's all ages. Um, like their project is focused on the older groups in the community. Now, just to say, we put the call out. Um, I think it was two weeks ago. Now, within 24 hours, we got such a huge response. We had to, we had all of our slots filled, um, which was amazing. Yeah. Like we couldn't believe it. And I think it comes down to you know, in the last couple of years. We've all been through so much. There's been so much bad news. Everybody wants a little bit of love in their lives. Yeah. So, but I think that the great thing about it is with such a huge response, obviously we were gutted to have to turn people away this time, but we're definitely going to be doing something going forward, whether it's, again, with Slow Camera Exchange, whether it's in UCC, but we're definitely going to be um, looking for all different types of love stories going forward. <clears throat> Um, and try and bring those UCC love stories to people. Because I, I take it there has been a huge number of people who fell in love while studying at UCC. Absolutely. I mean, I wasn't lucky enough myself, uh, Patricia. But right. God, what we have heard is just amazing. Um, and, you know, it's it's very clear that UCC is much more than somewhere where you go to, to study. Um, you know, it's, it's where people are... Um, spending huge amounts of time around the people that become, you know, their community and, and their family. I mean, some of the stories we've had are, are beautiful. We've had couples who met on their first day of college, who yeah. ended up getting married. Uh, we've one couple who were on a college field trip and when their flight got grounded due to all that volcanic ash, yeah. um, they sparked up a conversation and through the rest of history... We have first kisses at the main gate. Like, it's beautiful. Ah, oh, that's... And, of course, so many couples got get married and have been getting got in, in, in the, the Honan Church in UCC. Exactly. Like, the Honan is such a stunning location. Um, and then, of course, aside from that really special setting, you've got the beautiful grounds, the iconic quad, you've got the President's Garden. 
it is just like it is a very fairy tale setting, you know. So the idea is now for the for the lucky first group that have mm -hmm. been selected for this, they get they get photographs taken on these old cameras, is it? Yes. So we have uh, a wonderful award-winning photographer, Artem Trofimenko, who works with Slow Camera Exchange. Um, he's going to be photographing the couples. Um, we'll be getting beautiful um, portraits of them done up, and we're in the process of gathering all the lovely details from their love stories um, and they'll be going up in an exhibition. So the first session is this weekend and we have another one then to follow um, next week as well. And those old analogue cameras, Jane, they always take such a, a dreamy, romantic photograph, don't they? They really do. <laughs> and I suppose in an age where we're, everything is filtered, um, yeah. you know, and you're, you know, it's, it's really nice to get something that's, kind of a bit rough and raw and actually I think as cliche as it sounds it's the imperfections and things like that that make it all the more special 100% yeah, yeah. okay yeah. so you uh, and the exhibition when do you expect the exhibition to go live so it'll be around Valentine's Day okay. um, but we'll have more details to follow and updates so um, okay. if you're interested in the story just follow along the Slow Camera Exchange social media and we'll be posting updates ourselves of course on the UCC socials as well. Okay and will, and will you and eventually photo, pictures that the ones that are going to be taken I take it they'll go up on social media as well will they? They will so the, the main um, plan for them is to go on exhibition in Holly Hill Libraries. Okay. Um, and but we'll also be sharing them to social as well. Yeah, there's been so much interest that uh, I think people people are eager to see the results. Well, it'd be great for as well for people around the world who can't get to the exhibition, and that's the one thing about social media. You yeah. know, it brings us all together. It'll be fantastic. Uh, it's brilliant. It's it's a brilliant, brilliant project. We wish you luck with it, uh, Thank Jane. You. Thanks a million for joining us on the program. Thanks so much, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Jane Haynes there from the UCC. She is their web content uh, coordinator. All the slots, unfortunately, now filled. But if they decide to do it again, we certainly will let you know because there's many, many a love story has started at uh, UCC. 0818103103. Actually, just talking of love stories on Friday, if you were with us, we had that lovely piece where we were talking with that new company. Uh, it's a new social... Uh, online platform Rebride uh, where they're selling wedding dresses and uh, the, the young bride that I spoke with had worn her wedding dress somebody spotted it on Instagram and she got a message the next day saying any interest in selling your wedding dress <laughs> and literally within 24 hours she had sold her wedding dress and that gave her the idea of going oh there is something in this and she set up this Rebride and uh, we were just talking to her about her company and you know because some people can spend a lot of money on wedding dresses and that then led to what do people do with their wedding dresses and I couldn't believe the reaction that we got to it and the number of people who contacted us with sto with stories now certainly brides of today seem to be sort of all well up for I buy the dress I wear it once and then I'm selling it on want red want gone boom going to sell it a lot of people and that's why this online platform Rebride is really ta taking off but brides I think from around anybody celebrating kind of the silver wedding anniversary certainly the bulk of the texts and the calls we got in were people who were married 
25 years. A lot of them seem to be celebrating 25th wedding anniversaries. The amount of them that still have their wedding dress, I was completely blown away by it. And then I was wondering, what did, did, did anybody do anything with their wedding dress? That's the other thought pattern. There was a time where people made them into christening robes. So one listener was on uh, to say that she turned her wedding dress into a First Holy Communion dress and two of her daughters managed to wear it. So she felt she got value out of her wedding dress. Well, Lil got on to us. She was married 38 years ago. She turned her wedding dress into a christening gown for her nephew. And she said she did it within about four years of getting married. So she hung on to it for, for a couple of years. Then said, ah, I'm not going to wear that again. So then obviously it was handy with needle and thread and the sewing machine. So she turned it into a christening robe four years later. And she said that christening robe has done the rounds still and it's still going strong today. So it's now 34 years old, made out of a wedding dress that was 38 years uh, old. That sounds really special indeed, Lil. And I do think that's nice. I do think that's one, one way of keeping it in the family. But as somebody pointed out when we were talking about it last week, the young bride that I was, who was talking about who she sold her dress the next day, she had paid €5,000 for her wedding dress and then sold it the next day for 2,800 somebody's someone and it was a male it was a male texter I'm sure says if you were to turn the 5,000 euro wedding dress into a christening dress wouldn't it be a very expensive christening robe and I had to agree it would indeed and then Lana was on to us to say she said my mother donated her wedding dress to our parish church and it was used to make vestments for priests haven't come across that one before and that obviously was an old tradition that was used wedding dress went into the parish and somebody again handy uh, was able to cut them up and turn them into vestments for uh, priests so many years ago when we're talking about the circular economy and making sure we recycle items as we all know uh, previous generations of uh, people knew all about recycling. They mightn't have used the word recycling, upcycling. They certainly weren't talking about a circular economy, but nothing really was wasted. Everything had a use. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Staying on wedding dresses, a lovely photograph in from somebody saying, Hi Patricia, listen to you there talking about wedding dresses. This was my mam when she got married uh, over 50 years ago. I have that dress and my plan is that one day I will wear it when I walk down the aisle and it looks absolutely beautiful. And if you've looked after it well and it's been put away properly then I'm sure it's probably as it looks like it's a black and white photograph but it looks like the dress was absolutely snow white the day that your mum uh, wore it. Rita joins me. Uh, good afternoon to you Rita. Good afternoon Trish. You, How are you? I'm very well. You're coming up to a, a special wedding anniversary this July. We are indeed. We'll be married 40 years in July. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Now do you, you have the wedding dress? We still have the wedding dress yes. Okay. And at the time, before when I got engaged, I was very young. I was only 17. And my mum suggested to me, we'll put away a pound a week each to buy the wedding dress. So I said, grand. So it was €150 Euro we paid for the wedding dress. Pounds it would have been, wouldn't or it? Pounds, yeah. sorry. Pounds, yeah. yeah. So that was grand anyway, because we were building our house as well at the time. And so um, we bought the wedding dress and then we got married. And then I thought, oh, I'll try and sell it. So £25 was the most I was offered for it. And I thought, nah, I'll keep it. 
Okay. So I did. I kept it and I wrapped it up into the black bags, the blue paper, the whole lot. And then some years later, we had our daughter, Maureen. And so she was looking for dress-up clothes. So I thought of the wedding dress. And I had put away the bridesmaids' dresses and the flower girls' dresses as well. So I said, I'll pull out the wedding dress and the bridesmaids' dresses. And they wore them. They absolutely loved them. When she had played it, all her friends would be up. And they'd all take turns putting on the wedding dress and the bridesmaids' dress. <laughs> so they absolutely loved them. So for a good few years, maybe six or seven years, they used to play with them. And so then when they kind of got too big for that, we, I put them away again. And now we have a granddaughter, Ruby, and she is nearly four now. So I was thinking maybe in another two years, the out, wedding dress out will come the wedding dress. Yeah. And can and you, what, what, with, with Maraid and, and all the friends playing away on many a happy play date in your lovely wedding dress and the bridesmaids' dresses, <laughs> what, what condition are they, now, are they now? Are they still okay? Oh, they're perfect. Are they? You know what happened? My sister got married the same year as me and we shared the bridesmaids' dresses. Yeah, and so uh, she got married first in March yeah. and my mum stored the bridesmaids' dresses in the washing machine and we went to town and uh, she, she was going to have them dry cleaned and for stored away for my wedding then. So when we came home, the bridesmaids' dresses were hanging out in the line and my dad was after putting on the washing and hanging out. <laughs> and they were perfect. Yeah. Well, we had somebody last week as well said the same thing, that they threw it into the... She yeah. threw her wedding dress into the washing machine. I suppose it, it, it depends on the material. But did you get some fright when you came home and saw the bridesmaids' dresses on the on the line? Oh, he did. I was saying, oh, my God, they're destroyed. We have to buy new ones. They weren't. They were perfect. So, like... The, but, you know, now you can imagine the, the Ferrari. I know, I know. But, you know, it saved us getting them dry cleaned. Dad washed them, hung them out, brought them in. What are you giving out about their perfect? And that so, also meant that over the years then, you obviously did the same thing when all the girls used them for dressing up. Yes. But, you know, when they were playing with them, they used to be always inside. Oh, like they would have been playing out to, right, okay. to be inside. They'd be up the stairs, down the stairs, walking along. They used to have great fun with them. And were, be honest now, were you ever tempted? Did you ever put it on yourself when it was out? When they were, when the kids oh, weren't around? Did you say, "Oh, sure, I'll try on the wedding dress"? Try it on, yeah, but yeah. it wasn't going to come up. <laughs> <laughs> and I say, definitely wouldn't come up now. <laughs> but we we'll try it on and see anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so what's Camille? What's the plans for the fortieth wedding anniversary? Is going to be a big bash? We don't know what. Murray might be planning there now and her brother Dominic okay. and his new wife Christine I, you wouldn't know what they'd be thinking but we're going to go for a cruise anyway oh. all of us so there Murray is coming and Dominic Christine and Ruby so we're trying to plan that at the moment and where are you going to cruise to? around the Mediterranean oh, fantastic yeah. that'd be yeah. a, lo- a lovely way because go back 40 years did you go on a cruise for your honeymoon? oh no <laughs> <laughs> we went to Scotland Edinburgh <laughs> Yeah. And it was beautiful. We loved it. Yeah, yeah. and that so was, and that was you know going to Scotland. That was that was a big thing to do. 
40 it years. Was indeed. T- today, yeah. like it seems, it seems like you went to Scotland. I had a friend of mine uh, who got married, but oh, it's over thirty. She said her thirtieth wedding anniversary, and they went to London. Do you know what I mean? But that was a big deal, you know. People oh, it was huge. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I went in. I was working in Liam Ross's bookshop at that time, and I went across the road. I think it was Shandon Travels, maybe was across the road, and I asked them. I showed them my budget, and I said, "What well, can you offer me for that?" Yeah. And she said, "She, we could go to Edinburgh for that." So we did, <laughs> and that was lovely. Yeah. So we visited again. And, did you? Oh, did you? Yeah, that's good. We did. But we, ho- we went there when we were twenty-five years married, just for a look. Yeah. So. And it was, was sti- and it was still the same. It was. Yeah. It was. Yes. We went um, Euro Disney in Paris for her twenty fifth anniversary. You, yeah, you you you've got further afield than than, <laughs> than Edinburgh, and now you're heading off on your cruise. Oh, but yeah. your but your hundred and fifty pounds dress, which was a lot of money forty years it was. ago, yeah. it was. But it was great. I had saved the pound a week each, you see, and it made a huge difference because I was only nineteen, and yeah. my husband Dominic he was twenty three when we got married. So I'll give you away my age now. Whereas, whereas if a 19-year-old came home today and said, Mam and Dad, I'm getting married, you'd be saying, would you go away and get a bit of sense? Yeah, whereas absolutely. it was, again, again, it's, it's you know, times have changed. It was very common to get married in, in, your, in your late teens, early 20s. Oh, it was. And we had our house built and all. We built, and um, my parents gave the site next door to their house. And we built the bungalow there and we're still living in it. Okay. Yeah. And and I should mention that the maraid that you're so lovingly uh, speaking about, who used your beautiful dress as a dress, dressy up dress, is our own maraid. It's Maraid Tui, who, who is our news reporter. Oh, she is indeed. Yeah. And we're very proud of her. She's great. Yeah. She's great. Yeah. She's much loved here, I can tell you that. Much oh, and loved. she's much loved here as well. <laughs> Listen, Rita, pleasure to, uh, to talk to you. Uh, enjoy the 40th wedding anniversary. And I can't wait to... For when Ruby gets into the into the into your wedding dress and the bridesmaids' dresses, so well oh, done, yeah. well done. It'll be great fun. Look after <laughs> yourself. Take care. Thanks for the chat. Thanks for me. Enjoy it. Bye bye. Bye bye. bye. That is uh, Rita, uh, two week mum of Maraid. So used her lovely wedding dress. And I wonder there probably will be others now will ring in and say we did the same thing. Decided to give it. <laughs> I need a dressing up dress. Oh, here we'll dig out the wedding dress and off you go. 0818103103. Okay, some of your thoughts and comments coming in on other issues. There's a number of questions coming in for Annalise. Keep those coming. Oh, this is the one I wanted to bring to you. Somebody says, uh, Patricia, are you watching Dancing with the Stars? I am. And I sat down and watched it last night. Uh, this listener says, so we'll throw it out there to see are others agreeing or disagreeing. I'm really disappointed with it. Jennifer Zapparelli, the compare, has her favourites kissing and hugging her friends and workmates and not the other stars when they come off the dance floor. Uh, and as for the scoring last night, oh my God, they were so unfair on all of the contestants other than Suzanne Jackson, who had had a really bad night. She was the first dancer on stage, but at least she got a fairish score and she also got big hugs from Jennifer. Obviously, they are friends. I'm not going to watch it again. Now, I I don't know. I'll have to, when I'm watching it next Sunday, I should particularly look out for does Jennifer Zapparelli give hugs just to her friends? I, I certainly will look out, out for that. I did notice her giving hugs. I thought she was doing it to everybody, but obviously you watched it very clearly. 
cl- closely and she didn't. The scoring, I do think they're very, very tough on what are a bunch of celebrities who don't have any dance experience. I do think they can be a tad unfair. The scoring, I felt last night, yeah, it was all over the place. I mean, I do think the actress from Derry Girls, Leah, who got kicked out last night, Leo Rourke. I do think that was fair. I mean, she, by her own admission, she can't dance. She, t- <laughs> she really doesn't have any rhythm at all. And I mean, the guy she was dancing with did his very best to try to help her. But listen, she just can't dance. And that that's fair enough. So I do think, you know, the the probably the worst dancer went first. Suzanne who, Jackson, who you're talking about, who was the first dancer on stage, she just completely fell apart. She lost her... She was doing a very fast jive for those that, that didn't see it. She started out really well. She's well able to dance. She's had two previous really good dances. She's tipped as one of the ones herself from Brooke Scully and is kind of tipped between the two of them as to who will win it uh, this year. But she just fell apart. She kind of, see, it looked like she missed a, missed a step and then fell out of sync and couldn't. She just couldn't get back in, into it. And that was the thing that frustrated me when I saw her because we've seen a lot of the celebrities, you know, mess up, but then they'll get back into it. And then they're complimented on the judges for getting back into it. But she didn't get back into it at all. Now, the judges were kind to her. I mean, Lorraine was saying, look, it happens to all of us. Don't worry about it. And look, you, you look really well and carry on. And, you know, you'll come back you know, better and stronger uh, next week. But I was kind of blown away when she got the 15 points because I didn't think, you know, when you mess up a dance that badly, I found it a bit difficult that she got the 15 points because others who, OK, they mightn't be as good natural dancers as she had, as she is, but they did their dances to the best of their ability. And some of them barely got the 15 or maybe slightly more than 15. And that poor girl, Leah, who got kicked out, she didn't even get uh, 15 points. At least she completed her dance and got through every step that she was asked to do. So the unfairness for me was was what I noticed uh, last night. But the Jennifer Zapparelli one, I'm going to have to take a look out and watch that and see if um, she is doing that, that she because obviously there are people in in the show that she would personally know. So is she only hugging her friends? If she is, she shouldn't be doing that. 0818 103 103. Uh, l- lines are open. You can text her WhatsApp 0862. 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Donnerail Active Retirement Group, they are meeting this afternoon at three. Everybody's welcome. Um, it's their first after the Christmas break. New members are particularly welcome. Bingo is on tonight in Butterfinch GAA Hall, 8 o'clock. 3,550 euro all are welcome but bingo has been cancelled for tonight in Clonakilty GAA club and that is due to a local bereavement Mallowfield club they will hold a lecture on Cork's harbours Cork harbours past presented by Michael Martin it's tomorrow night at 8 and it'll be in the social services centre on the new road and a Cayley session in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic will be held next Friday night half past nine music by Jur Murphy admission 10 euro and it will include teas Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group promoter home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie this is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. 
Cork today at c103.ie. I just spotted a text in from the Ballincollig Winter Music Festival. It kicks off this week with over 50 musicians and artists playing over five days in Ballincollig, including the North Craig Band on Friday night, free trad sessions in the main bar also and you can get a full lineup at the whitehorse.ie forward slash winter festival. Good luck to everybody involved there. And somebody else wants to send congratulations to Mick O'Dwyer. Did you spot that in the papers? He got married. Lovely photographs of him. Fair play to him. Wishing him every uh, happiness. He's been in the relationship for quite some time and I don't know why he suddenly decided to get married in his 80s. But gorgeous photographs of uh, Mick and uh, his now beautiful wife looking very happy and very content and many, many years of happy married life to them both. Okay, we were talking about bullying and violence against women earlier on in the programme. That has prompted uh, Mike to say, it all, oh, this is when we're asking about, you know, why is this, why is violence against women, why is it reaching uh, crisis levels in this country? And that's something that has been called out by the Irish Human Rights and Equality uh, Commission. Mike says it boils down to the home and the upbringing of these bullies who harass women. He wants to particularly say well done to Holly Carnes from East Cork uh, for standing up and highlighting what she has been going through. As a dad of a young girl, says Mike, I fear for her future, with all, particularly with all of this online bullying. And uh, I worry about her as she matures into an, an adult. What way are people rearing the next generation? It is all so sad. And well, I know often with certainly with bullying, uh, there is a lot of research there that shows that when somebody is bullied, often they have been bullied themselves, which is uh, a, a huge problem. And instead of just learning from it, it's, it's well, it is almost like learned behaviour, isn't it? They begin to become bullies themselves. And come here, I just want to give a quick mention to this um, interim report. I know it's making the news. It's out from uh, CAMS. It's just scary. It makes for scary reading. And this is only the interim report. It's showing, for example, that many children with mental health uh, difficulties were effectively forgotten by the HSE. And as many of them were left on medication for years without any follow up appointments or without any monitoring of the medication they were on. The damning findings are in this interim report. It's from the inspector of the mental health services on child and adult mental health services, which, of course, we refer to as CAMS. It's Dr. Susan Finnerty. She big, now she started examining CAMS services in the country's nine HSE community health organisations, the CHOs. Actually, we mentioned it funnily enough. The area is divided up into these community health organisations. Sean Sherlock uh, referenced it with regard to the payment of the pandemic bonuses. Anyway, the reason that she got involved in it uh, was uh, because there was a whistleblower started talking about what was going on in the child mental health services in South Kerry. And because of that, this investigation got underway. Dr. Susan Finnerty has expressed serious concern that young people with open cases have been lost to follow up by many of the CAMS teams around the country. In one CAMS team alone, she found what she has identified as 140 lost cases. Now, what does she mean by lost cases? These are children and young adults who uh, were CAM service users, but they didn't have any further appointments scheduled, in some cases for up to two years. Many of them were on very serious medication 
and were left on the medication. No follow up to see how they were doing. They also included some people who reached, reached the age of 18. And of course, when they're 18, they're no longer in the CAM, CAM service. There was no planning for discharge. There was no transition into adult services. And more importantly, there was no advice on the medication that they had been taken. Others should have had follow up appointments, including a review of the prescription or at the very least a monitoring of the medication. In one CAMS team somewhere in the country, the previous consultant psychiatrist had left without relocating any of the case load. Dr Finnerty then said the team were trying to identify which of the children required follow-up. Yet another team did not follow up on its patients for up to two years, despite these children continuing to be on medication. It has been described as a scathing report. It's found evidence that some CAMS teams were not monitoring antipsychotic medication and they should be monitoring it in accordance with international standards. And the problem appears to have to be compounded by the use of paper-based files in several of the community health organisations. So it wasn't even that when a new psychiatrist took over or a nurse wanted to check, they couldn't even go on the computer to see what, you know, how long has this person been on this medication. It was all a paper-based filing system. Unacceptable variations then were found between the different services. And once again, how often has this happened within the HSE? It meant it was a postcard lottery as to what care a child might receive. Dr Finnerty said families spoke of children deteriorating while on waiting lists or having to source expensive and geographically distant private care. The lucky ones who could afford the private care, but they were travelling many, many kilometres in order to get the care that their children needed. Some families said that their child was discharged to no service when they didn't want their children to go on ADHD medication. Others felt that their child was discharged before they were ready so that they could simply be taken off the waiting lists. Now, Dr Finity's interim report, which has been published today by the Mental Health Commission, deals with just five of these community health organisation areas uh, and one of them happens to be us here in Munster. It's also looking at Dublin, Carlo Kilkenny, Kildare, Wexford and uh, Wicklow. The inspector said she decided to produce this interim interim report due to the serious concerns and consequent risk to some of the patients which she found in four out of the five areas that she examined. Now, we've got to wait for the full report and that's not due until later on in the year. Dr Finity's interim report indicates, though, that some of the care failings and organisational deficits were highlighted by Dr Anker Samari. He's the consultant psychiatrist who turned whistleblower. It was he exposed what was going on in South uh, Kerry. But what he exposed... She said she's now seen in other areas around the country. She's gone on to recommend the immediate clinical review of all those open cases in all the CAMS teams to identify and assess children who have been lost in follow up and for physical health monitoring, particularly those that are on uh, medication. Now, straight away, the HSE are out. Uh, Dr. Shivani Breen, who is the HSE National Clinical Director, she says integrated care. And, uh, and said a key recommendation of the interim report is that the HSE undertake a review of cases within the CAMS service. And she says that remain open. She said the HSE is putting the necessary plans in place to carry that out. Damien McCullion, 
who is the HSE's chief operating officer, said a major CAMS improvement process was already underway. But he went on to say that any parent or guardian with a concern or with a query about their child who's currently attending CAMS to contact their child's team directly or they can call HSE Live on 1800 700 700 where he says the details will be taken and it will be arranged for somebody through their CAMS team to contact them uh, where uh, necessary. But isn't, we're once again though back to we're talking about something that we were, we're only going to be talking about it because it was identified by a, a whistleblower. The, doc, the interim, she, Dr. Finity has concluded in her interim uh, report, uh, she's concluded that the CAMS team were seriously understaffed. They were operating at below 50% at what they should have been. And she said she found evidence of stress. She found evidence of burnout in a significant number of uh, teams. Uh, the review found also long waiting lists because I know as I'm talking about this, I'll have parents saying we're not even in the CAM service. We're waiting to get in. We've been stuck on uh, a waiting list. They also found things like lack of emergency CAMS services, uh, out of hours services, lack of clinical governance, lack of joint working with other agencies, a lack of a child centred care. Goodness me, in something that is meant to be for children and also a lack of admin, uh, admin support. Dr. Finnerty found a number of areas had to resort to telepsychiatry and that's where consultants based elsewhere assess the patients over Zoom rather than face to face and she referred to one unidentified area because obviously it's an interim so there are unidentified areas at the moment where a CAMS team had no consultant psychiatrist on site during the working uh, week and I know South Kerry CAMS uh, also when it came out they were saying that due to global shortages of consultants they've been unable to fill what is a long term consultant uh, post and they've had they've been forced to use a uh, telepsychiatry. But it's just it's damning. It makes for absolutely damning uh, reading. And of course, when a report like this comes out, some families are brave enough to step forward and talk about their children and their young adolescents and how they have been affected uh, by the care or lack of care that they have received. And as I say, this is only the interim report. We're going to have to wait for the end of the year for the full uh, report. But it looks like it's going to be another one of those cases where we're going to have to have the Taoiseach of the land standing up and once again apologising uh, for care. That and, and in this case, it's going to be children and young adolescents. This is the Court Today replay on C103. We are going to the Health Hub Times Square in Ballancolic, where we're joined by our nutritional therapist, Annalise Dressel. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you had a bit of a break last week. Did you, did you manage yeah, to get away? I did. I went to the sun and it just does so much for the mood, Patricia. I feel great. <laughs> I really it's do. It's incredible. And yeah. it, I think it's getting a bit of vitamin D as well, isn't it, from the oh, sunshine? definitely. And yeah. it also... It's just to get away from that dreary weather because it gets inside in our head and we've a really we've had a really wet one this year. Last year wasn't anywhere near as bad. Yeah. So it was just I feel like a new woman. Well done, well done. But but because of the lack of sunshine, it is important at this time of year that we're all taking vitamin D. Definitely. And I used to always say before Patricia clock change to clock change. But I do think that people are being so careful about the sun nowadays and they're putting on a lot of high factor. And if that's the case, I think you should probably take a vitamin D all year round. Plus, because COVID has been with us, really, and we do get spikes in the summertime as well, it might be worth taking a lower dose of vitamin D throughout the summer months as well. Yeah. Can you ever take too much vitamin D? You absolutely can. Yeah, you can. 
So that's why I never recommend people take the very high strength vitamin D unless they definitely know they need it. So vitamin D will increase the absorption of calcium and eventually too much calcium can help harden the cholesterol in your arteries and Ah. uh, and cause plaque formation. Um, Amongst other things, it also makes the body work a bit harder to have to get rid of it. So enough is always is always good but too much and too little is too bad so i think a thousand i use is plenty for most people unless they know specifically that they, that need, they, it. they need more yeah. yeah okay in straight in with questions now uh, a couple of people are on about cholesterol including sheila from mado so could you ask annalise please uh, to talk about something she recommended a couple of weeks ago uh, unfortunately i missed the program but somebody told me about it and a couple of others are on about lowering of cholesterol and don't want to go down the statin route or the statin route doesn't suit them Okay, so what the statin does is it blocks a pathway in the liver that makes cholesterol from saturated fat. So a lot of people worry about cholesterol in food, but actually, Patricia, the problem is is that we generally make too much of it in the liver. So there are natural products can do exactly the same as the statin. Um, the best one is comes from something called red rice yeast. So it's a yeast that grows on a red rice, and they harvest that yeast and in it there's a compound that's very similar to what's in the statin drug um, and that helps bring your cholesterol down very very successfully it's in products like Terra Nova have a red rice yeast complex there's another company called Rice Pure that's red rice yeast Cardio K has it now we used to be able to sell it in higher strength before the Irish Medicines Board decided that we could only sell um, it in 3 milligrams maximum per capsule so you may need to take a bit more if you've been used to taking the Cardio K before. Uh, but Cardio K have also put something in there called plant sterols, and these fool the body into thinking that they've already produced cholesterol in the liver. So um, that's what you'll get in your Flora Proactive and your Benacol. So Cardio K is a lovely combination of both. And I know there's an Irish company, Maconta, and we've been getting good feedback on their product as well. Again, that's red rice yeast on its own. Okay, somebody's starting to have problems sleeping. Any suggestions, please? Yeah, I think and if you nip that in the bud, Patricia, because if sleep difficulties become a long term, you know, if they get ingrained, it's very hard to break it then. So um, there's probably a couple of different things that would work. Normally, we start people off on something called valerian. Um, it comes, Dr. Vogel do a tincture called Dormazan, which is a combination of valerian tops. Uh, you can buy it as capsules. You can get it in different combination products. Other things that can help you sleep are things like Passiflora, Lemon Balm, L-theanine. We have a great supplement here by a company called NHP, Natural Health Practice NHP, and it's called Advanced Sleep Support. And that's a combination of all the ones that I've recommended with a little bit of magnesium, cherry extract, um, and that gets great feedback from customers. And just bear in mind that none of those um, natural remedies actually make you, they don't knock you out or put you to sleep. What they do is they bring down all those stress hormones that are flying around in your body, making your brain overactive. And they just make you very nice and calm so that you can drift off naturally. Um, There's other things that can work as well. Melatonin is very good, but you'll have to get that from your doctor or else you can buy it over the counter if you go to Spain or any place like that. and then for some people, if they find natural remedies don't work, I say, and if it's a very short-term sleep problem, I say get the uh, drowsy antihistamines and take a couple of those before you go to bed. Okay. Just knock you out in the short term. Uh, Liz says, uh, hi, Annalise. I've been suffering from tinnitus for many years now, but particularly bad in my left ear. Any suggestions to ease what she describes as a constant pounding in her ear? God, that must be dreadful. Awful. Yeah, it's awful, Patricia. Tinnitus could drive you crazy. 
Um, you can either get a whooshing sound. Some people have a buzzing or a ringing sound. And it's one of the most difficult things really to get um, a handle on. There used to be a supplement that some people found very, very beneficial. I think that natural supplements will only work if the tinnitus is caused by inflammation in the inner ear. And that's often post-viral. So there is a virus, um, a relative of the flu virus, that affects the canals of the inner ear. Um, and you could get either vertigo or tinnitus as a result of that inflammation of those canals. Um, so supplements that bring down inflammation could help there. Um, there is a bacteria called um, Lactobacillus salivarius that's very good for the environment and the inner ear. Rosemary is a very powerful natural anti-inflammatory for the inner ear. Plantago is great if there's a lot of mucus in the inner ear. That clears that up. So they could all help. But in my own experience, a lot of it is down to hearing damage mm. or sometimes it might be a structural issue. I know my own tinnitus used to be related, is related to my back and neck. And if my back and neck are good, I don't have it. Um, so I go to a chiropractor um, called Dr. Karina Maloney and I just went to see her this morning and really she has just changed my life. She has done so much to get me back to feeling good again. So if you think it's a structural, I think chiropractic is the only way to go. Okay, we'll go back to the vitamin D for a second. Listener says, um, Annalise, when should you take vitamin D and should you always take it with food? Um, you probably could take it any time, but I always think it's best to take things in the morning because vitamin D has a lot of different functions. The two ones we probably take it for is our immune function and you're meeting a lot of bugs and viruses throughout the day, so you would like it to be active then. And also to absorb calcium from our food for healthy bones and you're eating during the day. Yeah. So I think taking it at night is probably you're not getting the full value. And I always say to people as well, take after food because by taking on an empty stomach might make you feel a bit nauseous. Um, the ones that I like here, there's there loads of different vitamin Ds. Some people prefer spray. I prefer the soft gels where vitamin D is in a little bit of oil because vitamin D is fat-soluble. So it just improves the absorption of vitamin D. So if you take it with a bit of fat in your food, so for example, if you've got full-fat milk on your porridge or a scoop of yogurt on your porridge or if you butter on your toast, you will absorb vitamin D very well after breakfast. Any suggestions, please, for somebody suffering for the, with a very bad dry cough? A lot of dry coughs doing the rounds at the moment. Yeah, and a lot of people very sick over the Christmas period and have lingering coughs. So generally what's best for dry coughs are herbs like marshmallow and mullion. Um, the manuka honey is very good as well. Uh, I think the ones that we get good feedback on is the winter wellness, the Comvita winter wellness. Now, they used to do a mullion um, version and a marshmallow version that unfortunately has been discontinued. They were amazing. Uh, so we've been recommending a lot the Irish Botanica botanical syrup and having very good feedback on that. And for some people, if your throat is tickly, I think taking a throat coat spray is very good. Again, the Irish Botanica do a throat coat. And then, of course, Dr. Clare does a throat spray with echinacea in it. And that can be very good if you've got that dry, irritated cough when you're talking. The, uh, both of them have marshmallow in there. So it's very good to nourish those kind of inflamed and dry mucous membranes. What would you recommend for somebody in their 30s who gets frequent sinusitis? Uh, recently, for example, needed an antibiotic and steroids. Keeps reoccurring. Yeah, so sinusitis is a difficult one, Patricia, really, because in my opinion, again, not medically, but my opinion, I think it's down to um, mostly an, an allergy to something. Um, so like a lot of the time it's environmental. It could be to damp, 
moulds and things like that. For some people, if it's worse in the summertime, it's probably pollen. Could be down to animals, could be down to environmental pollutants. And then in terms of food, a lot of people who have food intolerances would find that they'll get a lot of buildup of mucus and then that gets infected and becomes sinusitis. So what I would recommend in this case is I would recommend trying to isolate the cause, maybe do a food intolerance test, and then to manage it, the Dr. Dealish Clare Congestion Blend is fantastic to take it as a preventative or as a treatment. It's a blend of herbs that help dry up the mucus and then using a nasal spray that help to bring down the irritation and inflammation in the nose. So we get great feedback on the Exlear, um, which is a xylitol spray, and also the um, the Vogel Sinufor is another lovely spray, and Olibus Oil have recently come out with a spray as well. And the two of those are probably better if you're blocked up. Okay, can you continue, says the listener, to stay on the red rice yeast products long term? You can, absolutely, just as, as statin. If you stop taking them, um, your cholesterol could rise up again. Okay, sure. and then is there a product, is it min, min, Minami, a product used to reduce uh, cholesterol? Uh, Mary says it went off the market, but now it's back on the market. But there's no mention of red rice yeast yeah. in it. But it does say added plant sterols. You must take two a day, whereas previously you only took one a day. Is that I, still okay? I think that's still okay. So that has... Probably not got the red rice yeast in there, but there's fish oils in the Minami. They do all the fish oil supplements and they've obviously added plant sterols into the cholesterol one. And there are actually probiotics as well that you can get that can help manage your cholesterol. But in my own experience, if it's very high, you're going to need that red rice yeast to bring it down. Okay, have we time for one more quick one? Uh, We do a man in his mid-50s. He's passing urine a lot when he's walking around. So it's like a leaking bladder. Any suggestions, please? Okay, again, it's about trying to figure out what the cause is. Now, generally in a man, if if there's a lot of dribbling, it could be down to an enlarged prostate. So that might be something that's causing it. And if the prostate enlarges, it kind of presses on the bladder. So uh, taking... Saw palmetto is very good for an enlarged prostate, as is pumpkin seed extract and stinging nettle. They're all very, very good uh, for a, an enlarged prostate. If it's not, if it's overactive bladder, which happens to men equally as women, um, the Icelandic and um, angelica leaf extract is very good. It's by a company called Viridian. And for women, we get great feedback on this, Patricia. So it's the angelica leaf extract Um, You need to take it. The studies have shown that most people only saw a benefit on average after about eight weeks. So you'd need to take it for two months before you could tell if it was working or not. And that's good for overactive bladder. Okay, and Louise recently was on an antibiotic and she's ended up with a bad rash on her legs and she's linking it to the antibiotic. Can antibiotics cause rashes? Um, They can, Patricia, but there's 101 other things as well that can cause rashes. Even, in fact, a lot of people, if they've been sick, could actually develop a rash um, even from just being sick. You know, the immune system releases histamine as part of the immune response and histamine is, re- is, linked, with la- is re- linked with rashes. So in this case, I would cover all the bases. I would take a natural antihistamine, maybe like stinging nettle, or you could take an antihistamine from the doctors. And I would also take a probiotic because the gut plays a huge role in managing the histamine in your system overall. So taking a good um, probiotic like Udo's 8 is a very good one. Or the OptiBac one has got some, um, the Everyday OptiBac has got some very good ones with 
uh, strains that have been proven to reduce histamine in the gut. Okay, listen, have a great week after your break and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for joining us. That is Annalise Drissel of the Health Hub, Times Square in Balancolic and as always in this afternoon, if you go onto our website, healthhubstore.com as heard on the radio, uh, she lists out all of the products that we have been discussing uh, today and I know John Paul will put it up as a podcast, a separate podcast as well uh, this afternoon. Now, time before we go, just a text in from uh, Mike. This is when I was talking about what's going on in the CAMS service and this interim, a really damning interim report from the inspector talking about the lost cases, children just lost in the system. They're being seen by uh, CAMS, but then no, absolutely no uh, follow up. Mike says, hi, you, Patricia. I've seen it personally within the psychiatric services in this country a number of years ago uh, with my late mother who was suffering badly from depression. I remember attending an outreach clinic with her consultant who started talking about various different types of medication, at which point I stopped the consultant and said, who are you talking about? My mother is not on any of the medications that you've just listed there. And then the consultant said, oh, sorry, I'm looking at a file for a completely different patient. Uh, I was obviously horrified as this was as this consultant knew my mother's history and had even been in our house. Scary what can happen when files get uh, mixed up. Goodness me, uh, Mike. Yeah, listen, I remember a similar uh, issue happened. Uh, I won't get into it now because it would take too long to happen with when Marsha in very early days when she came to live with us inside in the hospital. I'll never forget it. He was the consultant was talking about a completely different patient. He was actually talking about a little boy, whereas my daughter was a little girl. Uh, that's where I leave you for today. Uh, John Paul taking uh, not taking your calls. Thanks, John Paul. Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. We'll talk to you today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.